it's hard to say I enjoyed the process of running the marathon there because the conditions were pretty bad. Like just to set the scene for you, it was like minus 25 degrees to start with. I had gale force winds and the visibility was like nothing. podcast for introverts, extroverts and everyone in between. I'm your host Chelsea Heaney and my guest today is an athlete who represented Australia in the 2020 World Marathon Challenge, which involves running seven marathons across seven continents in seven consecutive days. She is also part of Bridge Builders Australia, which is a not-for-profit youth organization and the host of the Run With Soul podcast. Uh, Please welcome to the show the incredible Beck Mitchell. Thanks everyone and thanks Chelsea for having us on the show. I'm really excited to be with you all today. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, We will get to the the, the, the World Marathon Challenge because That's insane, and I have so many questions. Um, But I want to sort of go back a little bit. Have you always been athletic? No, not necessarily. Um, In my younger years growing up, I would probably describe myself as the person who used to run away from my problems. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I normally was the kid that would just, you know, run, you know, around the block or I participated in like school sports and those sorts of things, but I was never really a runner per se. So um, yeah, the, the running that I've gone on to do is certainly not something that I was the prodigy for when I was younger. (laughs) So then how how did you get to where you are now? What sort of sparked the run of loving if it wasn't always there? Yeah, look, it's a fantastic question. I've always been the type of person to have a bucket list. So um, I've had lots and lots of things that I've always wanted to do. And one of them was to run just a single marathon. And I did that back in 2014. Um, I was actually working with Bridge Builders Youth Organization and I wanted to run my first marathon as a fundraiser for the charity. And instead of participating in another event, I asked our CEO if we could just create our own marathon. So, Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, we created our own uh, marathon event called Run for the Young. It's now in its eighth year. And that was the, the first inaugural event was the first marathon that I did. And then, yeah, after doing the first one, I think I just kind of fell in love with it and I got the runner's bug and just kept going. Yeah, there you go. Because I was I was thinking about this as I was, you know, coming up with questions and stuff. And um, a few episodes ago, quite a few episodes ago, I had on um, an author, Scott Stewart, and I was talking to him about like, you know, how he started writing his book. And he sort of used an analogy of like, you know, everyone, pretty much everyone wants to have run a marathon, but nobody actually wants to do it. <laughs> That's pretty true. That's pretty true. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a fair enough statement. But you went, I want to run a marathon, so I'm you know, going to do the logical thing and run a marathon. But not only that, create my own, which is pretty incredible. So is Run for Youth now, like, do you get a lot, uh, a lot of people coming and competing in that? Yeah, absolutely. So the first year we only had, I think, 99 people join me at the start line and they were mostly locals, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I was pretty stoked. I was just really happy that I wasn't running on my own, to be honest. I thought that might have been a little bit embarrassing. (laughs) 
you know, just turn up for our event and it's just me at the start line. But um, yeah, there was quite a few people that joined us the first year. And then, um, yeah, after it got going, people really got behind it. So in the second year, we had about 333, which I find really strange from, you know, a numbers point of view. Um, Then, yeah, we started to get um, uh, interstate competitors as well. So people coming from New South Wales, Tasmania, all over Australia. And then uh, in its third year, it jumped up again to like five in the 500s and we got international competitors. So, um, yeah, we've probably had about eight or 10 countries participate, uh, which has been phenomenal. So I had no idea where it was going to go when we first started it. And I think it does really go to show that um, you never know really where your dreams are going to take you. And that's really important to pursue them because, you know, they turn into this really wonderful journey that you never anticipated. So, yeah, yeah, it was great. Do you find that most of the people who come to that are first-time marathon runners or do you get a lot of sort of people who do this all the time? To be honest, we get such a range of people that attend the event. Uh, We've got walking categories so anyone can get involved. Uh, But one of the things that I do really love about it is that in my first year, Uh, when I did the marathon for the first time, like you always know you're not going to win your first one. Like it's Mm. just not a thing. (laughs) You're just determined to get to the finish line. So in the second year, I actually created like a marathon newbie category for all the people that were having a go at their first time. So we tend to get a lot of first timers for that reason, that they can run again the other marathoners but then they still have the opportunity for a podium finish in their first go so yeah it's quite popular that's very cool now that is something I wanted to ask about as well because I I don't know about other people but when I think of a marathon I don't necessarily think of it as a race, which I guess doesn't really make sense because it is a race. But to me, I, you just hear people talking about how much of an accomplishment it is to just have done the marathon. Because how, how long is a marathon? It's like 42? 42.2 42. kilometers. So 26.6 um, miles. Yeah. yeah. So it, But it is a race, right? Like do most people there want to win or do most people just want to compete and be a part of it? I think for a lot of people, their first time in a marathon is just about the accomplishment. Mm. Uh, But then, yeah, lots of people go on to uh, not necessarily win, but always trying to improve like a new personal best. So Mm. um, there's terminology in the marathon world where we talk about like going sub four or sub three. So that's like the three and the four hour mark. And to like improve from the first time you did it to then go and do a sub three marathon is pretty extraordinary. So, yeah, lots of people do get competitive and try and beat themselves when they're running um, yeah. but again, lots of people just run for fun we have one uh, older fellow he's um retired and he walks the marathon every year he just turns up with his wife and just literally goes for a walk so <laughs> yeah it's pretty special <laughs> that's pretty awesome um now getting into the the world marathon challenge can you tell us a bit about that what is the world marathon challenge okay so it is a logistical nightmare <laughs> <laughs> Basically, as you said, the idea is to run seven marathons, so seven times 42.2, so you basically run nearly 300 Ks um, over the space of seven days on the seven different continents. So as an example, our first marathon was meant to start at the Antarctic of all places. (laughs) And then you basically like run a marathon and then you get on a plane and then you go to the next continent and then you run a marathon and then you get on a plane and so on and so forth until you've done seven in a row. So it's a little bit crazy. Uh, but yeah, that's the premise of the challenge that you try and get the whole thing done in under 168 hours from start to finish, including flight time. Cool. Now my next my next question is very simple. Why? <laughs> Am I crazy? Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, so look, at the end of the day, um, a lot of people ask me why I chose to do it and what made me make that decision to go, you know, what, I'm going to try and achieve something that seems a little bit impossible. And my answer to that is two things. Um, I was actually watching another participant when they ran in 2016. They're from the United States. And I watched their training journey on Instagram, just sort of chilling out and watching all their videos and how they were preparing themselves. And then I watched them do the race. And to be honest, I was talking to my cousin at the time and I said, look at this. This is really crazy. Who would ever do that? And then like three minutes later, I thought to myself, I wonder if I could do that. So it was from the moment I watched it, it was like this question of what's possible. And then I was already involved in Bridge Builders and a lot of my work as a youth worker is about empowering young people. So I guess I can't combine this idea of what's humanly possible with I wonder if I could inspire some youth, um, yeah, to overcome some of the challenges in their world by watching the journey that I'm about to do. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so obviously you, you knew a little bit about it because you did um, – you know, see somebody else do it. But what was, like, how did you get to be the Australian representative? Like, what was the process of, of getting to that point? Yeah, so you actually don't have to qualify. Oh! <laughs> you have to be crazy enough to want to do it. So there's only um, 164 people in the world that have ever done it. So it's a very small percentage of the population that actually even think that it's worth doing because it's a little crazy. Um, and there's only 46 women in the world too. So I'm like, 0.0000964% of the world population that have done it. So it's very, very crazy. Um, the entry fee is exorbitant. So um, I had to organise like a whole bunch of corporate sponsors to be able to get me there. And there was a lot of work and it was probably about two years of, um, you know, effort and, and training and that kind of stuff. So it does does take a lot. It's a little bit like training for the Olympics. You know, you've got to be fairly disciplined and there's a lot of work goes into it. So um, it's not like any old person's just going to be like, oh, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> Although I'm probably pretty much an, an average Aussie anyway. So maybe, maybe there's more of me out there. I don't know. <laughs> You never know. And, you know, you've probably inspired a whole bunch of people to do it in a few years' time. So, hope yeah, so. I like really that do. person inspired you. Um, I was going to ask about, like, if you have sponsorship or something, because it, it seems like that's a very expensive week-long holiday. Uh, <laughs> very expensive. Um, so the premise of it was that I wanted to get corporates to sponsor the entry fee, which meant that I could go and do it. And then I actually created uh, a campaign around suicide prevention. So again, with my work with the youth organization, very passionate about helping young people. So um, then I did like a fundraising campaign alongside the journey to raise funds for the charity as well. So that was sort of the two part focus, get the sponsorship and raise funds for the charity. Yeah, that's awesome. How much did you raise? Uh, 52000 <laughs> Wow, yeah, that that's pretty, pretty awesome. incredible. There were so many people that got behind it and supported me. I was, I was just blessed with an incredible community. That's very cool. Um, so, you know, you mentioned the training and stuff there. What, what was the training like for this and how did that compare to when you trained for previous marathons? What a great question. Um, so it took over my life for two years. <laughs> I was, I was a bit absorbed in a different world. I didn't really have much of a social life for two years. Um, it took a lot. It really did. And I, I sacrificed a lot of time socially. I put in a lot of, you know, effort and time on a weekly basis. You know, sometimes I was running four or five times a week, plus all the recovery and the strength training and the massages and the coaching and the group sessions. <laughs> like it was, it was 
pretty full noise for two years. I mean, it gradually got more and more as we got closer to the event, but it was nothing like I've ever done. Uh, I did do a four-day um, multi-stage race in Alice Springs in the lead-up because that was kind of like my my halfway mark. I figured if I could do the the half distance over more days, then, you know, I'm sort of on the right track. So, yeah, um, yeah there was a lot of preparation, a lot of coaching. There was a lot that went into it. Did you do any consecutive days in a row in the build-up for doing the seven in a row? Yeah, yeah. So often on a weekend I'd do sort of like Saturday, Sunday or Friday, Saturday, Sunday and do some quite significant Ks. So do 30Ks one day, do 30Ks the next, do 30Ks the next and just kind of build up that momentum. And then the race I did in Alice Springs was 130Ks over four days as well. So um, that was in the middle of a desert too, which was a phenomenal experience on the Lara yeah. Uh, but that really, all those experiences and all those training sessions really prepared me for what was ahead. That's very cool. Um, so where where did where were the seven countries that you went okay, to? Okay, are you ready? Continents? Let's do it. Hit <laughs> them out. Do it. So um, Antarctic, uh, Cape Town, South Africa, Perth in Australia, Dubai in the UAE. Um, then we went to Madrid in Spain. We ran on a Formula One track. That was pretty cool. Then uh, Fortaleza in Brazil in South America and then we finished in South Beach in Miami <laughs> in the United States. So, yeah, it was, um, it was like the whole world, you know, like you lose perspective sometimes but we literally like covered the whole planet. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's, had you been to any of those places before? The only place I'd ever done overseas travel was the United States. I'd done quite a few of the states there but before... Mm. Um, I hadn't travelled anywhere else. So the Antarctic, Brazil, all those places were very unfamiliar. Yeah. I imagine not many people just go to the Antarctic for a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> That's 100% true, yes. I, yeah. I did – it's hard to say I enjoyed the process of running the marathon there because the conditions were – pretty bad on the day so we were actually meant to do the Antarctic as our first marathon and because of the conditions we couldn't actually land the plane so we had to we had to reverse the two marathons so we actually started in Cape Town and then had a really small window of opportunity to fly onto the ice and then the conditions went terrible again so like just to set the scene for you it was like minus 25 degrees to start with they had gale force winds and the visibility was like nothing because there was ice flying around and it was just it was pretty terrible so out of all the world marathon challenge events that they've run there that was like the worst conditions they've ever run in so yeah. <laughs> it was not exactly nice but at the end of the day I do feel pretty um, privileged to have had the opportunity even just to go to the, that place because mm. you know there are so many other people I think that would love the chance just to go and be a bit of a tourist down there for a day and experience what it's like and I got that privilege in amongst all the torture <laughs> um and so yeah I do feel very honored that I got the chance to do that yeah I mean that's 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 insane like just like most people just running a marathon itself seems impossible but running a marathon in minus 25 and gale force winds just no <laughs> um, <laughs> it really does um <laughs> What it actually really taught me is that we're capable of more than what we think. So yeah. I guess I had a bit of an idea of what it was going to be like. And, of course, mm. I'd never run in those conditions or on ice or snow or anything before I got there. And I kind of hit this limitation 
probably a thousand times in the race, to be honest. It took seven hours and seven minutes to get it done. So it was a long time I was out there. And, and there were many, many moments where I thought, I'm too cold, it's too hard, I'm going to give up, you know, I need to get warm, I'm dying out here, like I can't eat, I can't drink, my music's not working, life is just not going well right now. And I just, I found something, you know, and even though I was physically exhausted and mentally drained and, you know, didn't have enough fuel and all that kind of stuff, I just found a way forward. And I think um, that really goes to show that we actually can do a lot more than what we think. Whatever we think our limit is, there's actually so much beyond that. And I walked away from that race going, you know what, if I can do this, I can do anything in life. But not only that, hopefully I can take this experience and share that with other people um, like on the podcast today so that, (laughs) you know, those at home can understand that they can do more as well. You might not race race in the Antarctic, but you might be um, able to achieve something that you never thought possible too. So I really hope people take that away from from the story of the Antarctic. Absolutely. And I think that's something you know, from from what I've seen listening to your podcast and the other work that you do, that's really something that is a message you put out is, you know, go do it. And that's, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this um, uh, before we started recording and over email and stuff. You know, this podcast is a little bit about that as well. You know, it's sort mm-hmm. of going, you know, look at look at these cool things these people have done and how they've done them. You can go do that too. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And know, often it's just that. It's just that thought, you know, I looked at the World Marathon Challenge and I thought, that's crazy, who could ever do that? Why would anyone ever do that? And then three <laughs> minutes later I was like, maybe I could. And yeah. sometimes we ask the question but we don't turn it into action. Mm. And so that's like the really important part to take away is that once you have that thought, once you have that goal, once you even have the, the image in your mind of maybe this is possible, then you've got to start planning for it straight away and be like, okay, who am I going to surround myself with that can help me? <laughs> what's the plan, how are we going to do this, and then it all just flows from there. And I think often fear stops us. You know, Mm. we get the idea in our head and then we get afraid. We get afraid about what people are going to think about us. We get afraid of failure. And then all of a sudden we stop and we put it off for another day. It's like, oh, I'll do that one day. I'll write a book one day. I'll, you know, do a marathon one day. I'll do this one day. And you never do it. So it's like you've got to get past that fear and just go for it sometimes. And that's kind of what I plan to do. So. That's very cool. That's very cool. Um, so I, I wanted to ask as well about, um, you know, the different places you went, you know, like you said, the you ha- there was really no way for you to prepare for the conditions in Antarctica. Um, you did say, you know, you went to Alice Springs. Obviously, it was very hot there. But did you train or prepare for the different climates you were going to be in or the different terrain you were going to be in? Because, you know, over a week, over all over the world it's summer and winter you know so every place is going to be different yeah absolutely and the short answer is yes I really tried to at the best of my ability back home here in Melbourne uh really push myself in different environments so in the middle of winter I'd be up in the Dandenongs running in you know minus two degrees or um you know it'll be raining and it's the middle of winter and I think to myself it'd be really nice to just not train today and sit in on the couch and Netflix but instead you just kind of have to push yourself and I had to get out there and even though it was raining I just had to go anyway and then Mm. on the really hot days when it's like 36 degrees and you can cook bacon and eggs on the concrete and here in Melbourne you just you got to get out there and try not to get heat stroke and I, I definitely pushed myself and tried to practice as best as possible the the idea of the different temperatures and different terrain as well you know some days we're running on concrete and other days we're running on ice and so 
yeah, you really have to practice those as best as possible. Uh, the ice was probably the only um, mm. really difficult thing to train for unless I did another ice event and I just didn't plan for that. So it's probably something I could have done. But, yeah, you do have to prepare yourself. as. Well, I'm a big believer in preparing as best as possible. So yeah. I, I definitely had a go at doing that. <laughs> cool. I am. Um... I like I'm gonna tell this story but as I'm about to say it I'm like this does not compare to what you did um just you sort of reminded me of it with like you know prefer to sit on the couch when it's raining and get out a few years ago I um decided Canberra's surrounded by mountains there's mountains everywhere and so there's one very close um to where I live and a few years ago I just decided okay for every day in November I'm gonna climb this mountain and it's only like maybe 800 meters tall, but it's not really something I'd ever done before. I'm like, we're going to do that. And I had, you know, different friends come along with me on some days and things. Um, and yeah, like the days it was raining, I'm like, nah, I'm going to get through the whole 30 days in November. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get through the whole 30 days. And like when it got to the end of it, like it just, it was such a good feeling that, that I had done all those 30 days and now like I can look you know it's been three or four years since I did that so I can look at my my friend's five-year-old and be like I carried you up a mountain once um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that story because it's not just about the experience it's not just about the you know the time with yourself it's actually about the discipline like there could have been so many things each day that would have come up or distracted you or tried to pull you away from that and you're like no I'm going to do this and it's going to be every day and I'm going to make it and just that goal in itself of doing that on a daily basis I think is fantastic because we can go out and we can do the once-offs a bit easier but when you really stick to something for a solid period of time not only does it create a great habit but it actually gives you that discipline to to be like no I can do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to make it work and I love that story I love it. I can probably count on one hand the amount of times I've climbed that mountain since then but um, <laughs> we won't tell anyone <laughs> we won't, no, no, that's between you and me um, <laughs> um so uh you also mentioned before you know the sort of how hard it was in the Antarctic are there like medical personnel there for you with this like you know because it seems like a big strain on the body um like it seems a little dangerous yeah absolutely so um the the basic premise of it is that the support staff were fantastic they really took care of us as best as they could you know they tried to supply not just good old plain food but like they tried to give us more nutrition on the plane and always having you know electrolytes and snacks and things available they didn't have um like a, a massage team so it wasn't like every time you'd finish <laughs> a, a run you'd go for a 60 minute massage we just didn't have the time luxury for that but they had a doctor on board um I had to use the doctor a couple of times <laughs> medicate my feet because they were falling apart um, but yeah they definitely supplied the the care and the the medical um, resource needed for for the seven days but I mean it, at the end of the day you, you're going in knowing that it's going to be really tough and you, you expect that and you expect a few things to go wrong and you expect the body to break down and so just kind of knowing that and mentally preparing that it's not going to be easy sort of meant that when I got there you know the the idea of a luxurious massage or time to sip on a latte wasn't really 
it wasn't really on my mind. It was more yeah. about like, okay, how can I recover as best as possible? How can I try and get some sleep on a plane? Because sleeping on a plane is hard to do. Uh, so just all those little things that I could do and sort of self-manage in a way really helped. Uh, yeah. yeah, just kind of the whole process. Yeah. That was another thing I was going to ask is like the time between each marathon, like did you did you get to sleep in a bed at all or was it pretty much just on a plane and get off the plane do the next one? It was on a plane the whole time. So <laughs> there's no ideas of, you know, five-star luxurious accommodation in Madrid. That sort of stuff just didn't <laughs> happen. But, um, yeah, we had a, a an interesting flight for the Antarctic one, so we had to change planes at the last minute. Mm. It was a lot of challenges there. So we ended up flying on a cargo plane. I don't know if you've ever flown in a cargo plane, but they're not really built for people. It was more like military style, drop door mm. out the back, flying sideways. <laughs> um, so that wasn't a lot of fun. But then the rest of the time we were on a business class flight. So we had the ability to almost lay flat, which was great. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Trying to get sleep on a plane or just uh, when you're really tired and in that environment wasn't the greatest. So for the whole week I probably had about – I don't know, 22 hours sleep in total. Yeah, so you're sort of sleep deprived and a bit delirious for half of it. But, I mean, I got to run with 35 other runners from all over the mm. world. And we were really encouraging of one another and we were always working together as a team and, you know, we'd always share the tools and the resources we had for recovery. So you definitely felt like a family for that week. So it was good to have that support too. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, was it... The, the tracks that you were on, like where, where you actually ran the marathon, was it, you know, like you said, one of them was a Formula Race uh, a formula race track. Um, was it all sort of circular tracks or was it running through the streets or something else? Unfortunately, all of them were laps. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's kind of like the most brutal way to run a marathon. Yeah. You have to run past the start-finish line like a bajillion times, but. <laughs> Um, so they were all a bit different though, which was really nice. And because they were loops, the benefit of that meant that we were actually running past one another as runners all the time. So let's say we're doing, apart from the Antarctic where that was obviously a bit different, we couldn't see anything. Um, so like we're on the streets of Brazil or we're on the formula one track and we were literally like bypassing one another every couple of minutes. So with such a small group of runners the the benefits of doing the laps was was really fantastic but yeah it did it did get draining mentally just having to go past the same thing times or 13 times and you've got like oh I've got to do another lap (laughs) and the surfaces were all different so um lots of variety and that helped all of us you know, move through it. But yeah, it was it was all loops, which is not great. But I mean, I practiced that. So we have a lake That's where I am locally. And I did, you know, a half marathon, I think around the lake and just did all these laps just to kind of get myself ready for you're going to have to do a lot of laps. Beck, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned before you had you had music, like, for some reason, it didn't like, you know, I listen to music when I, you know, exercise or something as well. But for some reason, it didn't occur to me that you would do that in a marathon. <laughs> I don't know why, um, but every I feel like that's a good different. thing. Yeah, every run is different and there's a lot of debate in the, I guess, the running space about music or no music. It's very highly debated. But um, at the end of the day, you know, if you're out there and you're enjoying it and you're still 
paying attention. I think that's the point. You know, sometimes people put their headphones in and they just zone out and don't pay attention. Whereas for us, you know, our safety was a really big priority and you do have to be alert. So, you know, I had my earphones apart from the Antarctic, of course, I had my earphones in, but they were just on a really low setting. So, you know, if I ever was um, struggling a little bit or I just needed a little bit of extra motivation, you know, you turn up the tunes a little bit and you get going for a song and then you, you know, you're off and going. So yeah, it's something that I like to do every once in a while. Yeah. And when you're running the the marathon itself, obviously, you know, several hours, it's a very long time. Do you sort of strategize beforehand of I'm going to run this much and I'm going to walk this much or you just sort of see what your body feels like doing at the time? It's very different. Um, for the first couple of races in the World Marathon Challenge, I actually ran next to another competitor. And I think that was incredibly helpful because it was this really great partnership when, you know, one of us wasn't doing well, the other person was really encouraging. And um, we were able to talk about the experience as we were experiencing it. So you're almost like debriefing or pointing things out along the way and even just helping one another with like tips and tricks of like, oh, I just did that and it worked really well. So um, yeah, there's a real part, there's a real power in partnership. And um, to be able to run alongside Linda, one of the other competitors for that first couple of races was really great. And then other times you're just sort of off in another world and not really paying attention and just sort of absorbing yourself in the experience. So it's, it's very different. People often ask me, you know, like, what do you think about for six hours or four hours or how yeah. you're out there for? <laughs> and I'm like, you know what, it is a lot of time, but I am passionate about running and it is something mm. that I enjoy. And I think when you're enjoying something, you don't really pay attention to how long it's going for. So um, yeah, it's just one mm. of those things where I just kind of tune into what my body's doing and what's happening and off I go very cool what was your favorite part of the whole experience oh how do you have a favorite <laughs> I the whole world in seven days um, <laughs> look we went to some pretty amazing places because of the um, logistics with the Antarctic it really did change a lot in our schedule and it, and it like the whole plan just kind of went out the window, to be honest. And we ended up, we were only actually meant to race two races at nighttime where, in those locations. And we ended up doing four races at nighttime. So I didn't exactly get to see a lot. But one of the places that I really did enjoy was Brazil because that was a run in the middle of the day. And we ran along a foreshore next to the ocean. It was quite you know, it's quite picturesque as I'm describing yeah. it. <laughs> White sandy beaches, blue ocean, but it was more um, the culture of the people and being immersed in their environment. So mm. I was very much felt like we were a guest on that day and we sort of showed up and they had their team all ready to go and support us. And I kind of just got this insight into just the daily life of someone in, Braz in that part of um, Brazil anyway, in Fortaleza, and just like watching the locals working on the side of the path or out fishing and just kind of going about their everyday life. And so as I'm running for all the hours that I was, I was sort of just observing the environment. And I really loved that. I really loved just being immersed in the environment and watching the locals do their thing. And I really felt like we were in it as opposed to like Madrid, where we were on our own track and there wasn't any locals and I know that that's you know Spain so it's not very <laughs> incredibly different to Australia but um, yeah just that diversity and the ability to be immersed in the environment we're in and it was really hot as well so it was about 36 degrees and the humidity was like 90 percent so we were sweating like like electrolytes it was crazy um, but I actually really enjoyed that because I really enjoy the heat so I think it was 
my favorite because of the environment but it was also my favorite because it was really hot so yeah it depends but that was probably one of my favorites yeah do you ever think you'll go back to any of the places you you went to just to sort of be a tourist Oh, 100%. Um, the world's changed a lot since I got back. So I mean, this is true. <laughs> I finished uh, at the end of February in 2020, and that was, like, <laughs> right when the world, like, just stopped yeah. overnight. So I got back and I felt like the country that I had left had changed in three weeks. Mm. It was crazy. And then just I had all these other ideas of not just travel but um, going to particular places I'd never been to before because I was inspired of what I'd seen and then all of a sudden of course that all just changed yeah. um, but I often think about you know places like Cape Town I really loved Africa there was something about it it was you know very culturally ri- um, rich it was it was a very colorful place um, you know I'd love to spend more time out on safari with all the animals and yeah there were just some really lovely places that I would Brazil was another one I'd go back there in a heartbeat when I get the chance so um, even the states I made a lot of friends a lot of the competitors were from America so like I could fully plan out like a holiday and just go from house to house visiting all the <laughs> Know, going for a run in each state like it would be pretty amazing so yeah big travel plans when the world opens back up again <laughs> Very cool. Um, I asked you what your favourite part was. I feel like you're probably going to say Antarctica, but what was the hardest part of it or the most challenging part? <laughs> yeah, the, the conditions in the Antarctic really did make it um, the hardest race. I almost feel like it was a race on its own in a way, in a sense, because it is so secluded and it was very much its own race. Um, but one of the hardest things was actually uh, running the final one because it was mm. like, it was this bittersweet moment between pure exhaustion, just like completely spent and still having to show up and run a marathon, <laughs> and then this idea that um, I'd sacrificed a lot to be there and so had other people and it was about to finish. Yeah. And so this moment I was probably with, I don't know, maybe maybe a lap to go or two laps to go where I actually slowed down because <laughs> I was like I was in pain and I wanted to finish but I was like trying to savour the moment and I was like trying to take it all in and remember all the details. And it was just one of those moments I was aware that I'd never get the chance to potentially relive. And I was yeah. like, I've got to hold on to this. It's, it seems so small and it's the last one and I'm nearly done and the finish line's not that far away and I've nearly made it. But then I don't have another country to go to after that. I don't have a race after that. Mm. And I'm kind of sad that I've been working for so long towards a goal and it's like going to be over. So yeah, I like slowed down and really tried to take it in. And I think that we can probably do that a bit sometimes where we just like so eager to get to the end that we forget to actually enjoy it. Yeah. And yeah. That was really tough. Just kind of like holding myself together. <laughs> yeah. Like, down, like slow down and just, just enjoy this moment for what it is. Cause you might not get this chance again. Yeah, because I guess, you know, like you said, you you trained and organised for about two years and then the whole thing's done in a week. Yeah. Like that's a very sort of quick ending to something you'd been working towards for a very long time. Yeah, it's like you run across the finish line and it's done. And I was I was really aware that, you know, it's halfway around the planet and there were hundreds if not thousands of people back in Melbourne supporting me and they didn't really get to be part of that moment. Mm. 
And I've tried so hard to like, you know, share the photos and, and communicate how amazing that was. But I also realized that I wouldn't have been there without them. And I really wanted to share that with them. So um, I've written a book about the journey so that hopefully I can mm-hmm. take people into those moments so they can really be part of something that they helped make happen. Yeah. Um, how did you all celebrate after you finished the last one? Well, we tried to celebrate, but uh, <laughs> we were all pretty exhausted. Um, <laughs> So we got to the finish line and like the thing that I was surprised about the most is how quickly we dispersed. So like some people had to get a plane on within two hours of the race finishing. And so it was just kind of like we all just sort of like we all stayed around and watched each other and made sure like the last person finished. But as soon as that happened, it was like people had planes to catch and they had family waiting for them. So all of a sudden it was like, poof, everyone went. Um, so I literally went to my hotel, which was across the road. I think I ordered burritos and chips and fell asleep. <laughs> oh, it was like just pass out, you know, have a hot shower, get cleaned up and just pass out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean. There was no partying. <laughs> yeah, sometimes the best celebration is sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Would you do it again? I would, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd probably try and skip the Antarctic if that was possible (laughs) or just really hope and pray that the Antarctic gives us, you know, nicer conditions next time. But there's a couple of participants that have done it twice. One of them was running with me. And, um, yeah, you learn a lot. You learn a lot about life and you get to see a lot and experience a lot. So um, I don't have plans for doing it again, but I just I never say never because you just never know. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Uh, mo- moving on from that, though, I'm sure we'll get back to it because there's still so many <laughs> questions. Um, can you tell us a bit about Bridge Builders? Yeah, absolutely. So Bridge Builders was founded 19 years ago uh, by a guy, uh, Phil Stenhouse. He's an OAM. And um, he basically started it with a friend of his because they wanted to really help young people um, just learn a lot more about themselves and be empowered. And um, we basically work with young people 12 to 25. It's a big age range. And uh, we're all about helping a young person on their pathway. So I was a participant when I was 17 and it completely transformed my life. You know, it gives young people self-confidence. They get involved in skill development, leadership development, event management, mentoring opportunities. There's so many different programs that we do. But at the end of the day, it's about helping a young person navigate their world and keep their head straight. Yeah. So the events and stuff you guys do, obviously we talked about the marathon earlier, but is this like going into schools or different things like that? Yeah, yeah. So we have um, about 36 different schools programs that we can deliver across high schools. Um, The event management really is about helping young people feel like they're part of their community. So they actually Mm. design and deliver events for their own community. And then they obviously get skill building and team building and stuff at the same time. So a lot of um, service delivery to young people is about their deficit, you know, how what things are you challenged by and how can we fix them? Whereas Bridge Builders does that, but at the same time, it's more about like what are your strengths, what are you passionate about, um, you know, what can you get involved in, what can you grow in? And we really try to look at the strengths of an individual as well mm. and some of the challenges that they got going on. So um, we don't necessarily we're not as in we're not necessarily the place for all young people but we deal with a lot of different types of young people and at the end of the day everyone needs a space where they feel like they belong and feel valued so we hope that we provide that for them 
Yeah, that's very cool. Um, I also wanted to ask about your podcast, yeah. uh, Run With Soul. Uh, can you talk about why you started that? Yeah, so I was sitting with a mentor of mine after the World Marathon Challenge and they're like, how are you going to get the story out now that, you know, public speaking was kind of being quashed and it was not, I was just not sure how I was going to share the journey. You know, there's there's friends of mine that I still haven't had the chance to talk to about this and it was 16 months ago. Yeah. <laughs> so life really has changed and, and when I came back, a, a mentor of mine just said, start a podcast and I thought, you know what, you're right, I'm going to. So um, the first uh, eight or nine episodes were about resharing some of the lessons that I learned from the trip and then after that I begin to uh, basically interview other people that I know in mostly the running space um, or you know the adventurous space about some of the things that they've done so one of my podcasts was with with, um, Heather Hawkins she was a participant in the World Marathon Challenge as well but she's also the winner of the North Pole Marathon so you can do like the South and the North and she's done Yeah, and she's also like trekked through the Himalayas and just people that do really crazy, awesome things and <laughs> overcome severe, um, sever- uh, can't even say it. <laughs> she's overcome cancer yeah. um, and she's just an amazing person. So it's people like that that I really love just drawing out their stories and helping other people with them. So I often get people that have, um, yeah, overcome challenges or gone out and done something pretty challenging and then getting them to share with other people. Yeah, this kind of comes back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier, but I was listening to, I think it's in the first episode of the podcast, you were sort of talking about how you wish some of your role models growing up had had podcasts where they talked about how they got to where they are and that was kind of why you started doing it as well so you could be that person to to other people. Absolutely. So um, when I was growing up, I just never really felt like I had a space where I could talk about what I was going through Mm. and um, just I don't know circumstances just meant that I didn't ever feel like there was someone I really connected with and I recognized the deficit in my own self-esteem and my own value as a person when I didn't receive that and then a bit later on when I started to connect with I guess older women in my world in particular I realized the benefit of it and just how women can empower other women in such a powerful way. So, um, you know, they, they te- every person I meet, you know, especially older women, they just teach me so much about life and about myself and, um, yeah, just that support and guidance and just hanging out with really great people. So the ability to do podcasts and, and share some of those life stories is just so, so underrated. And I just thought maybe I can do more in this space too. And uh, I love being on podcasts. I love the opportunity on any platform. I'm never, you know, short of two words. <laughs> it's about getting more positive role models out there for people to hear because there's so many young people that I see on a daily basis that need that. And yeah. if they don't know that it exists or they don't have access to it, like how are they going to get through their challenges if they're missing the role models like I was? So, yeah, sometimes we just have to be the change rather than talk about it. Yeah. That's or talk cool. about it and be the change. And be the change. You can be both. <laughs> um, you mentioned it a little bit before, but can you tell us about your book? Oh, yes. So, again, just trying to really extrapolate all of the moments from from the World Marathon Challenge, I kind of describe the experience as like concentrated cordial. So it's like so much happened in a week 
that you just sometimes I can't put words to it you know it's this hugely concentrated experience and I felt like it needed to be diluted somehow it needed to be like extrapolated it needed to be kind of pulled apart and so I did that in the process of writing the book I just I really delved into some of the moments that I was feeling and some of the things that I felt like I didn't do right or like some of the lessons I was learning and even related some of the journey in the world marathon challenge back to things that I'd done previously in my life and it was just this process of me trying to take everything from that experience and share it with other people so that's kind of the emphasis of why I decided to write it but um yet to be published but we're in the process so it's very exciting (laughs) it's very cool um now we're getting sort of close to the end here but I always like to ask a random question of my guest uh before we finish up and it's got nothing to do with anything that we've talked about and it's different every episode so my question for you is what is the most unique but useful thing that you own I love it. Um, <laughs> that's a really crazy question. <laughs> Unique and useful. Yeah. It's actually quite difficult. Um, oh, wow. Unique and useful. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm going to say a screwdriver. And I'm not okay. even kidding. I know it's not all that unique, but it's probably unique to have one lying around in the glove box of the car or, you know, in the top drawer of the kitchen sink or whatever. But you, you can never go wrong with a screwdriver. Yeah, so <laughs> Honestly, they're, yeah. they are so useful. And even using them for things that aren't, you know, you've got a Phillips head and you need a flat head and you use it anyway. Like, yeah. <laughs> and we find weird and wonderful things that we can use screwdrivers for. So I'm going to say a screwdriver. I mean, that's fair. I get so much satisfaction out of being able to fix something myself. Yes. Right? So my my dad's a handyman and my mum and dad run a business. So, like, I sort of grew up with all that. And I've got, you know, my tool bag and everything. And every time I buy something, it adds, I need a bigger one because there's so much stuff in it. Um, (laughs) But I, like, if there's something, I'm like, can I fix it? If I can't, can I call my parents and ask them if they can tell me how to fix it? Yes. Yes, yeah. but it's just all the simple things. Like if you've got to, I don't know, tighten something up. Like I was cooking the other day and I was the, I was trying to cook on the stovetop and the handle was like flopping around and I was like, I'm going to burn myself if I don't fix this. So <laughs> whip out my screwdriver and tighten that bad boy up and we're all good. No burns for Beck. <laughs> I don't even know what my answer is. I was looking around, like I wrote this question, but I'm not sure I have an answer for this one. I was looking around my apartment being like, I don't know that, like I have things that are unique but aren't like useful like they're just decorative I don't know my key bowl is shaped like Chewbacca um yes yes for Chewbacca (laughs) see that you covered the unique and I covered the useful so we're all good teamwork teamwork uh and now my final question for you is one that I ask everyone who comes on the show the show is called loud and seemingly confident because that's how I once described myself do you consider yourself a confident person Uh, Yes. Yes, I do. Um, Sometimes too confident. (laughs) And I think a lot of us uh, use confidence, uh, not not everyone, but some people use confidence as a a bit of a mask. You know, if we're confident, we're out there, people aren't going to really pick on us. And um, confidence can definitely be uh, something that's natural or something that's forced Mm -hmm. when we just feel like we need to be confident. Um, I love the the line of seemingly confident because um, it, it just sort of goes to show that sometimes what we 
put on is not who we are. Mm -hmm. And um, confidence is one of those things that we all struggle with as well. You know, it's very hard to be confident all of the time. There's always those days where we doubt ourselves or we're not quite sure if we've got it all together or, you know, we feel like it's just not working and we're having a bad hair day. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a really, really fantastic description. And um, yeah, confidence is one of those things that I wasn't good at when I was younger, but I have learned to be really confident and it has served me well. So um, yeah. if you're listening and you're not feeling like a confident person, um, yeah, I would definitely look into that and see if you can get someone to reflect how you might be able to become more confident because there's so many ways you can do it and um, confidence really does go a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Beck. This has been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure you've got a thousand more stories you could tell. <laughs> um, and uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening in. Um, please like, follow, share, all of those things, and you can go back and listen to uh, any of our previous episodes wherever you're listening to this one. You can follow me on Instagram at Chelsea J. Heaney, or you can follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook uh, at Loud and Seemingly Confident. Beck, where can people find out more about you? Yes, absolutely. So I've got all my information and social handles on my website, Beck with a with a K, so B-E-C-K, <laughs> BeckMitchell.com. So everything's on there, um, all the footage from the World Marathon Challenge and a lot of information about new and exciting projects that I'm up to. So, yeah, definitely jump on, give us a follow on social and, uh, yeah, get in contact with me. Let me know if you've got any questions or um, any encouragement. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank again, you thank you so much. <laughs> this has been fantastic. Oh, oh, oh.